0: This is Extraordinary, a podcast brought to you by Independence Australia, where we have an honest chat and a good laugh about what it's like to live with a disability. You'll hear about the unique challenges we encounter, the funny situations we face, and learn what it's like to be in our shoes. I'm your host, Oliver Hunter. I'm a stand-up comedian who actually can't stand up, and I've been cracking jokes about living with a disability for years. Today we're chatting with Mark Beridge. Mark is a keynote speaker and author of A Fraction Stronger. Mark has applied his lived experience with a spinal cord injury and has taught others about resilience and belief. In this episode, you hear about Mark's passion for helping others understand the journey, the power of good connections, and how his injury in 2019 led him down an entirely different career path. Let's get into it. All good. A nice, easy one to start with. I've seen we seem to be starting with is what would you like people to know about you, mate?
1: I think at the highest level, I just feel like a pretty average person that got stuck in a pretty awkward position, uh, have a spinal cord injury that was caused by falling off a push bike. So I was trying to ride for fitness, doing 250 kilometers a week, 200 to 250 rides a week. And uh, unfortunately, you know, one of those rides, was about halfway through a 70 kilometer ride, didn't quite make a corner, I flew over the handlebars into a stormwater drain that I didn't realise was there when I was making my controlled crash decision into a park. And, yeah, that caused the crush fracture to my T12, T11 as well, but T12 was 40% of original height and a big piece of my vertebrae went into my spinal cord. So that was pretty scary bit of news that I got in the hospital. So That's my background is I had that injury and then, you know, fortunately, whilst it was a very near-run thing, I had that opportunity to... Push forward and try and learn to walk again post that incident. So I went through that journey, got an amazing amount of support, and now I've written a book to try and help other people tackle difficult situations. And I appreciate that, you know, a lot of people will have it even more difficult than I had it, but the book at least will give them a framework of how they might be able to tackle whatever situation they're in to get a better outcome.
0: Just to touch on what you said there about your accident, and you said T twelve. What does that mean in terms of your paralysis and your injury, and how it has affected you?
1: The T twelve. Sorry, if I'm going to murder this slightly, but you know, roughly where your rib cage is sort of meeting, so about halfway down your back, and so yeah, it tends to mean that all my functionality losses below that point. So yeah, from my I guess all my core muscles were really struggling through my stomach and below through my glutes in particular my left foot had a lot of movement loss issues so that was the bit one we in particular didn't expect in the very early days the specialist didn't expect i would get much movement back at all in the left foot that was very problematic the right foot also in hospital but really that from your tummy down to the toes i've got some level of impacts all the way through my body there i do have some other legacy issues from my arms as well i think through just the occasional nerve flare-ups that just i guess caused by generally not being perfect body-wise anymore but yeah most of my impairments are tummy and below
0: yeah cool what was your relationship and
1: understanding or knowledge
0: of disability before your accident and what, what did that involve if at all
1: no I, I think you know lived a very average life and i was not at all cognizant of the challenges Of a number of ailments that inflict people so i spent seven weeks in the pa hospital here in brisbane where they the the ward i was particularly on had a lot of the diabetes impacted people that end up losing a you know limbs and so that unfortunately a much greater understanding of just how vast that impact is in terms of number of disabled people that come out of that situation, but also just all of the most simple things, like we love going to the AFL. where Brizzy Lions members up here a long time. And, you know, I had to go to get wheeled into the first three of those games I attended. I was wheeled into the ground in a wheelchair by my family so that I could still go. So I got a vastly different perspective, I guess, of what life is now like for a lot of people and some appreciation of that so that really changed my perspectives by being in, in a wheelchair quite a bit in different events for i guess that early part of my recovery
0: yeah I'm a, I'm a big footy fan as well mate i'm a big tigers fan down here in
1: melbourne well you've been having a good time of it yeah not so much this year but before that it's been a good
0: time and every time i bring it up though people go oh you having such a great time I'm like yeah but Fifteen years, twenty years before that was a yeah, bit of a, a hellhole, hell, hell but a
1: lot of, of nine,
0: yeah, a lot of nines. I think we got in the eight last week after beating yeah, Colin yeah, Not, yeah. not to time this pod episode too much, but we were sitting in ninth, which is a familiar position. But we'll be right as long as Dustin Martin can uh, be on the field, mate.
1: We'll be fine. I've been an awesome team and achieving just consistently to an awesome standard for a number of years. I was a West Australian originally, so. Hence the love for AFL, and all my kids played it up, up here in Peru, which was Jason Dunstall's childhood club. For those that know the like a goal kicker, and yeah, love getting along to the footy. Still one of our great loves as a family. Did you
0: play footy as well when you when you? No, I mainly play sport. played hockey
1: growing up. So yeah, I played a lot of field hockey as a child, and probably all the way up to when I was about forty-seven, um, and the knee cartilage basically had given way. So that was really why I was riding riding so much was. I could no longer play hockey to the same level i just really couldn't run with the lack of knee cartilage and the pain that caused so i got back into a riding with a group and you yeah, know ultimately i was really loving that from a headspace perspective but just hit a bad bit of road and it didn't work out so well in the end
0: and i guess post accident and sort of how your life changed how did independence change for you and what does it mean to you now compared to what it did mean?
1: i guess i was in a very privileged position from the roles i'd been able to work in all my career, and I always had a lot of international travel and I guess high pressure, high intensity roles. And of course, I can't do those anymore. You know, and now I feel awful saying it, but I'm you know really fortunate that my injury was very, very severe, but just that couple of millimeters, not so severe that I could have the opportunity to get up. But I can only work 50 cent maximum of the capacity I worked before. I've just got niggles all the time, I've got to invest in maintenance just a whole. In my body to the current level so um, on the one hand i'm very 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 fortunate on the other hand yeah it continues to impact my life in every way i mean just simple things i love doing like going to the beach and body surfing i've got to be much more circumspect in the water now than i used to i've got to be i won't sit down on a beach towel at the beach because the chances of me getting up in a way that's not ending up on youtube because it's hilarious for someone to watch I just feel conscious about things like that. So, my life's definitely impacted, but at the margins, I mean, the bulk of the big things, I I guess I can find a way to do it. It's just harder and I'm slower.
0: Yeah, I think as well, something that can kind of go unrecognized in sort of our lives having disabilities, and I brought this up before, is the life admin, like that's associated, like I've found, like with having a disability that you kind of just do, but then you realize, oh, there's so much work that goes into. Like appointments, ther- like physio and therapies, just like you said, the maintenance that goes into keeping our bodies and everything else in check. And
1: I'm really fortunate with NDIS, but you know, even just I guess I was quite keen to self-manage, so that I felt like I was capable of doing that. But you know, even that takes a bit of time. And just the simplest things, like I, you know, if I'm going to go downstairs, and we we in a house with the stairs, you know, I can't. I can be really careful about what I'm carrying on stairs. So I might need to take two trips to go up and down the stairs rather than one. Just lots of little things consume more time for me. But overall, I'm in a good position where I can be, so long as I keep to in- investing in my rehab, I continue to live a pretty independent life.
0: During the beginnings of your rehab, like when you first had your accident, what was your um, sort of headspace like after having such an independent, fast-paced life with all the positions you were in? Like, what was that like in that initial moments?
1: Uh, you know, e- even today, you know, I'm probably moodier, and more difficult with my children and my partner at times yeah it's something you got to keep managing but at the very start yeah i mean i guess when i first heard the news i was really lost and in shock for a number of hours it took me a while to find the resolve of like i can you know take on trying to tackle the predicament i'd found myself in and then as you're going through those first few weeks of rehab i'm up and down all the time like i'm trying to find the energy to say i'm strong enough i can tackle this and other times i'm feeling quite defeated by the process and lonely. And I think the biggest ones that sort of hurt all the time was this sort of feeling like just an unlucky moment might mean that I was going to be not able to continue to earn for my family. I had three kids who were very active in the same way as before and not going to be able to be involved in their lives in the same way as I was before. And it's, again, it feels strange when you look back at those thoughts now, Oliver, because people achieve Tremendous things from much more difficult positions than I ended up being in. But when you're in that moment, it is easy to wallow, I think, and think this is really, really a bad event and how will I cope? How will anyone cope around me? But people cope through lots of things all the time.
0: It's sort of important talking about that wallowing period. I think for me, I've realised in my time and I've grown up with my disability, cerebral palsy, so I had that since birth, but I think... It's also important for people to know. I think you can have periods where you can wallow, and you can just be a bit flat and just accept that that's what's happening. But you got it's important to sort of get yourself out of that and and go All right. That was that period. I'm like, it's okay to have that.
1: I very much form that same mindset. So in the book, I sort of talk about the method I really used when I'm dealing with that sort of despair and those elements, which is yeah, allow yourself when you having those flat spots, allow yourself to have them, but then. When you can find a way to do something, even if it's something really small, just take that next step to break yourself out of the flat spot and then build off that, build into things you enjoy doing off that. So the first task might just be anything, but then build off that into things you enjoy, some time with someone you really enjoy, whatever else, and that will pull you out of that cycle. But life is ebbs and flows. And I think once your life's been shaken up in the way many of these listeners will be, then you're going to have more of those ebbs and flows, and and work out how to deal with them rather than deny that they're there.
0: Yeah, love, uh I don't know how many times I've seen those Grand Final highlights, but I'll continue to watch them. Uh, <laughs> no, no matter how flat we get from now on with the old, the old footy club, I don't think there was
1: anyone from Adelaide calling here to say, "Yeah, no great idea."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, nah, I mean, you know, they got a bit ahead of themselves, and look what happened. So I guess you've touched on your book a few times already. And is there one key message or a piece of advice that you could give to people dealing with similar situation or disability from the book, or just from yourself in general? Is there
1: for me the biggest thing, and it is really central to wanting to write the book, is just the amount of kindness that's out of there and out there and around you. And if you find a way to embrace that kindness and that support, it actually builds. So. I think that's a really central element to the book. There's one particular chapter called Reaching In and Reaching Out, but it's within all of the themes of the book, which is if help is offered and you embrace it and build off that help, it's a much more powerful outcome for you and for the person providing that support. So I guess my biggest feeling out of my journey was just how much kindness came to me from places I wasn't expecting it, how powerful that was, and... By embracing it, I was able to achieve the objectives. Most of the objectives I was seeking, but more importantly, just a good outcome. And I think that there is kindness out there, embrace it, is my probably strongest thought. And those people that are offering that kindness, keep offering it because it is so valuable.
0: Yes, and that was my point as well. I think if you're out there and... And you're out in public or wherever and you see someone with a disability, whether it be in a wheelchair or for whatever reason. And you see them, you know, oh, they look like they might need a hand. Because I I I give. I think of this one story all the time where I was in a pub and I bought two beers and I had took them off the bar. And I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Both hands are full. I'm in a wheelchair. How do I push my... And someone came over and he, he said, oh, I was going to help you. But I didn't want to offend you. I didn't want to upset you because I asked someone once in a chair and they snapped at me and they, and I haven't, I didn't want to do that again. And I was like, mate, of course I need help. I've got two beers. Like, I don't know where, how I'm going to do this. I don't, I don't, I'd have to scull one and then put, like, I don't want to do that either. So I think my point there is accept the help. And if you don't need help with someone with disability, that's okay. Just say, no, I'm good. But if you're out there too,
1: in the book, I talk about some of the things my wife did at different stages, and I call them sort of gentle interventions. And, you know, that's not quite that situation. But if you're offering the help in that situation and once before you've tried and it didn't really work or you're a bit unsure how to do it, just be really gentle about it and really polite about it. Just say, is it OK or can I help you by doing this? So how do you frame your language in a way that you're, you're really gentle in that approach, I think, and people will hopefully uh, embrace it?
0: Yeah, and I guess that touches on sort of where I was going to go on my next question, the importance of language to you. You've touched on about being gentle. Is, is it in terms of disability space and the language we're that's getting used and we're using, what's some key uh, aspects?
1: When I first started to think about whether writing or speaking about my journey, I was really struggling what to call myself. Yeah, okay. I'm not a spinal cord injury victim. It was just an unfortunate accident. I was, the road was great, so I'm not a victim I'm not recovered. And I think that's interesting that there's like a point in time where someone really needs to be encouraged for all the effort they're putting in to get stronger or better. There was no, there's no real word that shows that someone's, I don't know, improver for, you know, and even that's a dud phrase, but how do we have, they actually, we need a really positive label for people that are getting better off something, you know, not referring to them as they were in the past, like a victim might or other things. And so I guess, that was a bit of a passion, and I've yet to find the right word there. So, I'm a bit of a joke, you know, I will call myself a spinal cord injury rose because, you know, like Shakespeare or rose by any other name. I guess the other thing I'd say is, yeah, you sort of think about what's my position. I'm impaired, and I'm impaired around my mobility and some other, you know, balance and other functionality for life, but it is only an impairment. So, I guess that's the word I would probably, you know, in general, use about my condition. But I think, you know, come back to that discussion around the beers in a way, you know, you know let people let the the person that has the impact use the language around you know, how it is for them as opposed to you labeling them externally unfairly
0: yeah and i think as well part of the issue i've found with with a lot of the language still in the space in disability and that is that we haven't really found anything like you said that isn't a deficit language whether it be the ndis or anything like that we're still trying to prove what we can't do we're trying to sort of say oh this is what we can't. this is how much support we need because we can't do this which is valid in a lot of ways but i still think we need like you said we need to find a way that isn't just purely in this deficit mindset oh it's
1: so well summed up because how do we improve or how do we stretch ourselves to better outcomes we visualize where we want to get to but a lot of things causes us to look backwards at the deficit and you know i get it that in order to prove funding or something we might need to do that point of time but how do we reduce how often we do that and focus more on what we can do, and also what we've achieved, because positive encouragement, you know, positive feedback does reinforce effort and belief, and how do we focus on those positive elements?
0: Again, you've touched on your business lifestyle before your accident and how you were driven in what you were doing before that. How did your disability change your approach to your business? Did it change the direction of your career, and what did that involve when... Because as you said, you're doing your keynote speaking and your writing. Was that, was keynotes something that you were?
1: So when the accident happened, I was very shaken up in terms of my sense of identity. And as part of the way I personally tackled recovery, you know, I threw myself at it as hard as I could, as intensely as I could, which I guess is sort of how I tackled a lot of things in life. And that worked for a while. And then I got to the point where I started to resume work because I've improved enough to do that and needed to throw myself back into the style of work I did before as part of my sense of identity and part of my next level of improvement, mental and other. But yeah, I just found I bit off more than I could chew. I couldn't really work to the level I had hoped I could work. And I ended up with a lot of niggles. And that was also, it's 2019 was my injury year. 2020 was my first attempt at getting back at work. Had a real try it wasn't really... You know, I just ended up with other side effects and niggles and overdid it. And then, yeah, so I guess from the back end of 2020, I started to think, what else might I be able to do with this? Had had a lot of encouragement to say, speak and write about your journey. And I'm thinking, well, really, I'm not that impacted and relative to others. And my, you know, I'm not sure that it'll work as a way forward. But yeah, over time, i built more confidence into that. And that led to me writing the book Affection Fraction Stronger and now doing some public speaking around that. So yeah, nowadays a very diverse, I guess, revenue model for one of a better expression. So yes, trying to do some work, some money or earning through public speaking, doing some coaching and negotiation, which was an area of expertise from my career. And then I still do some occasional consulting through the business I would have been doing prior to my injury. So it's a real, at the moment, it's a bit of a mix. I'm still finding my worth in terms of that new me, post injury and where I'm gonna settle. But at least I've been able to have some great feedback and some great options and I'm really enjoying the way that the book is connecting to people and the opportunities when I speak, how that also resonates for listeners.
0: Yeah, so 2019, that's a that's pretty fresh, mate. You've just begun your journey. And then come back
1: to that kind of the mental space. Yeah, I still at times go, This is hard. Like I've made some fantastic progress in three years and I am in a really fortunate space and I, I want to keep acknowledging that. But just when you know, you just saw most of the time in some way, shapes or form, the tingles in the feet and all those little side effects of my injury. And you go, I'm going to have this for of small life. And at times you go, geez, I don't love that idea. But overall, I just got to turn that back to again, You know, what are all the fantastic things that I can do, that I have done that I can continue to build off and the wonderful people around me and how do I keep those connections up? And of course, I'm making so many more fantastic connections today, you know. Today, this interview, through writing the book. I've met amazing people. And how do I focus on where life can go as opposed to the things that annoy me in the moment?
0: Yeah, I uh, couldn't agree more. And um, I guess, has there been in the three years or in, in all your experiences that you've had funny or outrageous kind of moment that you've come across or interactions with people in this new life that you're now path
1: your on? I think it was really important for me. To, like Humour is a big part of or attempted humor, my my kids would get stuck into me for dad's jokes and my failings when it comes to humour. But it was really important to me. So the you know, just in the very start in hospital I'd started making jokes that I'd just got the five and two diet a bit wrong. So I mean, rather than five days of eating and two days of fasting. In my case I had five fractured bones and two fractured vertebrae. So I sort of try and find sparks of humor that helped me in those really difficult moments at the start. And and obviously I'll just keep embracing them as I go. So Again, as you're trying to connect with things you used to do and enjoy in 2019 and the, the very back end of the year, I was trying to just keep the soccer ball around a bit in the backyard with my youngest child. So I'd do that occasionally, even though I wasn't much good at it. He already couldn't move very much. I did fall over once, which wasn't very smart. It hurt my wrist pad. But, you know, just trying to connect and do things you did before. My little you know, my boy would occasionally take take the mickey out of me and sort of do his own version of my dodgy run that I was doing. and it helped, right? Because that's what it was. I couldn't hide from it. And if we could just make a bit of a joke of, I guess, that situation in a nice way, it did help. So I guess lots of little things like that, we just sort of got to keep rolling with
0: it. I think sometimes too, when the people around like the, your support network occasionally see you making jokes about it or sort of going, this is what it is and this like, I'm trying to be funny, kind of release the tension a bit. I know that's always what I try and do.
1: Yeah, i think it's integral to me I and mean, again it'll come down to you know individuals or some people where that just wouldn't work that you know humor but for me it was and and i guess once you start to know people and know what works and how to, can you find a lighter side of difficult moments because when you can do that it just helps with perspective and sometimes you know even someone in my situation where i'm you know, very lucky still needs that help with that perspective occasionally
0: i guess so so you got the book out and you're happy with where that's going where do you see yourself in sort of the next few years, or in the future now, and as you, I guess, get to know your disability as well, get to know yourself. Like it's three years in, where are you sort of headed? Do you think?
1: Not sure I can answer that question accurately. So I'll, I'll make a few comments. So coming back to a humour type thing, yeah, you know, I like to joke that I'm an accidental author that I've been catapulted back in contact with my creative side, and I've really loved that. So I'd like to keep writing if I could do that. I guess when I first got the publishing deal for the book. I was really, again, let me take back that gratitude that I've got for NDIS and what it's done for me, you know, it gets maligned in the press, but what it's done for me is amazing. You know, what other people have done to help me on my journey is amazing. So when I get a bit full of myself or a bit too hopeful, I think, how can I find a way to get some platform out of this, like out of having written a book, to be able to help more people that need it, be able to help the organisations that are helping people to actually be a bit of a champion in this space? So that's a hope. It's a long way from a reality, Oliver, but that's what I'd hope. Like, I feel so grateful out of this, that if I can find a way that I actually get enough momentum from the book that I can do good for other people, that would be amazing. If you say, what are my real targets in three years? I'd love to get into some, find a way to build off what I'm doing right now to be more helpful.
0: Yeah, I think is what I've sort of realized that the last few years is when I remember when I was younger and with employment, obviously a big one with people with disabilities and how do we navigate those sort of interesting areas? And I realised a few years ago that I think the best way for me to handle it is to lean into it, like lean into your disability sometimes. That's not that's not necessary for everyone. But for me, I, I sort of sat up one day and went, I think the best way for me to navigate my life and career is for my disability. Not to be the absolute focal point, but instead of not necessarily me denying my disability, but there were points when I was younger trying to fight it and go, no, I just want a normal job or I want a normal life. But I think I realized, oh, from, I have the ability, you know, I speak pretty well. After a few beers, it gets a bit touch and go there, Mark. But, uh, but you know, I have this capacity to do this. And as you said, hopefully it can make a difference for others and make an impact. And I think we're in similar positions where we're happy to do that. We're happy to be in talking to a crowd or writing a book
1: yeah i felt really uncomfortable the first time i sort of did some public speaking I mean, i'd presented a lot in a work sense but yeah just i guess shelling out the really personal moments the first time was really tough and for me personally a lot of things that were automatic before automatic anymore so my mind is working hard all the time just to do basic things that were previously easy for it to do In are standing i'm all my core muscles on just to stand so everything's a bit different and i guess i felt like, just not as sharp memory-wise and maybe... So I felt a bit exposed, I guess, the first time I did the public speaking about what I remember, everything in the sequences I wanted to talk about. But once I got through that, yeah, I started to feel like, yeah, I can do this and it's going to help people. I, I generally started to feel really positive about the impact it was having on other people and enjoying that. And, yeah, you know, ultimately there are a lot of people in tough situations. So if we can find a way to help them believe as other people came into hospital and helped me believe that this might be possible. That's a really great thing.
0: But in the process, say, of the book, how do you think that helped you, like sort of putting down all those events and really, when you were writing the book, you were exposing yourself to yourself, but that makes sense. But yeah, how did that?
1: And massively. I could talk about a number of different examples, but when I first started to decide I'd write the book, people would say, oh, yeah, it'll be cathartic for you. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't really need that. And, you know i'm okay now and part of the reason why i felt i was okay now was about 15 months after the accident you know i had been struggling i'd done some work for a while i was struggling a bit with you know how that work was going you know both for me physically and from an outcome perspective of the work and i was feeling really low so i just went out and jogged a lap of the oval just to prove i could because it always said you'd never run again and it was pretty uncomfortable but you know, i got through that and then i used that event to go okay i'm going to watch the video footage of my first attempt at walking on day 10 which i had one try at watching about six months after the accident and i just couldn't watch it i just felt so down about how i looked in that video how defeated i looked in that video and remembering how tough it was so i'd forced myself to watch that then and i'd also forced myself to open the notes that i'd taken on my ipad I couldn't write the first few weeks, but once I could start to write, I'd sort of tried to jot down what had been the key events over each of the first few days and then every sort of second day for about four weeks after. So I had all these sort of notes of what the first six or seven weeks had been like and I had them on the iPad for 15 months and I did not want to open them. I always just resisted. And again, that event of jogging the oval caused me to go, right, let's take this on. So because I'd done all that stuff, I thought, oh, the book's not going to be so cathartic. And despite that, it was massively cathartic because you start to put new events. So you don't talk about so much in the book. And as you relive them, yeah, I would always have some form of emotional reaction to it and tears. So you'd get, you know, be able to process that better and, and deal with those moments better and just grow as a person and understand the things you're going through and, and what worked, what didn't as you tried to tackle it. And hopefully, I've been able to share those. But then, just to finish this sequence, you know, and just in that last moment when sort of been through the book, you know, any number of times, and I'm, it was the day where it's press send basically for it's going to go to print. So I just thought I'll just read some of the key stories one more time. And I, I think in some ways, I was trying to find. Something I'd stuffed up of, you know, you're not oh, Mark, you've overlooked that. That didn't quite work or something, but I didn't. The book was lovely and I went through all these moments of kindness again. I could just find, find myself crying again just at that point. Even all this stuff I'd been over because it was triggered by that point of it's now real. It's going into the world. It's my last moment, almost my last private moment with the book. And I had this little tears and self-reflection. So definitely very cathartic overall for me. You know, some ups and downs within that process. But yeah, very valuable for me on a number of levels.
0: You touched on it at the start there, you took those notes on your iPad in the first, was it the six or seven weeks within your rehab?
1: Yes, yeah, so I probably started about day 14 and I took notes for about six, seven weeks of what was going on, major issues, my wee bag, things like that. Like how do I, you know, all those moments that I failed at this, that I couldn't do that, that I was trying to do and how difficult it was to put my shoes on, all those things that find a way to get my own shoes on about week five or something. All of those moments that I captured and I was really expecting when I opened those notes that I recorded just how often I felt low, but actually I hadn't. I was kind to myself, the notes weren't as bad as I expected, but there was enough there for me to remember all those tough moments.
0: Why did you do that? Like those notes at the beginning. You know, I, I don't have a spinal cord injury. I don't didn't go through intense rehab like you and, and a lot of other people have. But I've, I've been in hospital for like major surgeries that were elective and planned. So I have some experiences of being low in flat in hospital. But why did you do that? Especially, was it a conscious thing? Was it because you thought my experience could be a book? Like we've ended up there. Where does that motivation come from?
1: No, I don't know. I mean... Um, in my twenties, I had a couple of amazing experiences. So I you know, backpacked around Thailand and around USA, and I went on a when I was twenty one, my second overseas trip ever. Um, my first had been ten when I was ten as a as a child. I went on this amazing field hockey tour for a month around Europe, and I'd taken diaries in those situations. So I'd always, I guess, I had a a memory of diaries being really useful from those really life changing trip of a lifetime tours that I'd been on. So I don't know if that was intrinsically why all of I don't know why. I think it was maybe a part of I wanted to record the milestones that I was getting through. But if I try and use that reasoning, well, wouldn't you have been going back to check on the milestones? But I don't think so. I think I just wanted to have some record of just what was going on in some certain days. But I never had any vision of doing a book. And it, no, it took me, as I said, the book decision was probably 18, 19 months after the injury and only really as a result of quite a lot of encouragement from my community
0: yeah you have already touched on a little bit the support of your community your, your family how were they when it all first happened And that because again it's a new life for
1: them as well can't imagine what it was like for lucy on that first morning so she was scheduled to be reading at church when she got the phone call to say come meet mark in hospital you know, as the boys dispatched me in an ambulance and then so she's arrived to deal with that i think she's written a note for the children who were then asleep we had three children the oldest was doing year 12 as a final year of school and you know she's written a note saying feed dogs hang out washing or something and stormed off tried to ring anyone she could do to fill in for reading her sections at church and now i can't imagine what it was like for her. At, you know three hours later to then have to turn around and leave me in hospital after we'd received the news to go home and tell the kids the news and it was horrible and I know the kids really struggled to varying degrees to come and see me that first few weeks in hospital because I was pretty messed up and there's a bit in the book that's quite famous and I use in my keynotes as well about Charlie's 21 words so this happened 21 months after the accident I was sitting with a friend and I was saying well this is what happened because he didn't really know and he, he very quickly turned to Charlie who was then 13 and said well Charlie what was it like for you in the first week and the, these 21 words are well dad you look so depressed." You're confused about how the accident happened, and you're constantly apologising for letting us down. And I thought I'd been really positive, particularly when they were there, about how do I just put on the brave face for want of a better expression and find a way through this. And I was really trying to use all my negative emotions to just try as hard as I could and improve as much as I could. But you can see just when they did come that I was very much wallowing to different degrees and looking backwards at the moment. And so I think that's really powerful that even when you feel like you've got the majority of your energy employed productively, often you just got a bit of the margins that's still dripping away. And if you can find a way, some techniques to get less of that to be dripping away and driving you forward in a positive way, that's a good thing. Uh, again, coming back to our earlier discussion, you're not going to get that right all the time. There are ebbs and flows. Give yourself permission for having some bad moments, but as much as possible, if you can start to appreciate how many of those bad moments you're having, how you might turn them around, who might help you turn them around, then that's a good thing.
0: From your perspective, do you think it changed? Because 13 is quite young. How do you think it influenced, say, your 13-year-old at the time? Like that's a pretty stark and articulate thing to to give back to you as a 13-year-old.
1: I was in shock when he said those words. Like it was so wonderful when I reflect on it. But the moments he said them, my first moment was defensive. Hang on, I wasn't quite like that. I I don't think I heard whatever he said for the next two sentences because I was busy defending myself. I'm not like that, in my own head. I let it distill and I was able to listen to the rest of the the things he said that day and they were amazingly mature. So, yeah, I guess it must give them a great perspective. And my wife had been through bowel cancer a couple of years before and obviously her ability to tackle that the way she did gave me inspiration to tackle my situation like I have. So collectively we must have given them, well, we would hope we've given them the idea that you can tackle hard things and that you can grow through that. But they probably are also... More tolerant of other issues as a result, I think. And and how do I help people? I'm sure they would have seen all that generosity to help me, and they can then extend that on to other people. I think all those things have happened. But ultimately, only they can really answer that question. Yeah, I was so that's that. just my yeah. summary of what I think.
0: Yeah, you've given them, yeah, them um, plenty of opportunities to build plenty of resilience, I can tell you that, Mark. So uh, plenty of doses happen, of resilience happening in uh, your household by the sounds of it. But it's an interesting question because I often think about i got three younger brothers and I had plenty of time at the children's hospital in Melbourne as I said, for all the surgeries, all the appointments. But it is a moment you have every now and then where you go, oh, I wonder how it's affecting them or how it affected them as kids. Like My youngest brother is now 21. But, you know, as their whole childhood, a, a key sort of aspect was my time in hospital or and my, um, took a lot of my parents' attention. So it is an interesting discussion to have with the people that, on paper, they're not affected.
1: Well, the ripples affect so many things, I'm sure, you know, yeah, you know, no doubt that's had some impact, some positive and negative for all of those around us. But mostly, hopefully, we can turn it to the positive.
0: And you again, you with all all we've spoken about already, you've you've touched on many times how you're trying to help others with their journey, with the book and all that sort of stuff. Was there someone in those early moments that showed you the way?
1: Lots of examples in the books, obviously I talked about Lucy's own journey, but I'll break it down into a few different buckets. So the very start, after really being in shock about the injury and thinking, "Will I be strong enough to tackle this, how will I tackle it?" I imagined other people. And how they might have tackled their hard situations so i'd seen Carnie little who's a you know, paralympian with muscular dystrophy speak 10 or so years before so i could think about her and watch how might she have tackled her situation if i can imagine and tackle it a bit like that and i thought of some other examples like that so i guess there was an element of imagining based on experiences i was aware of or people i was aware of at the very start imagining was really important to me then i had i guess. I would say the chunk of belief. So I had a few people come into hospital and give me belief that I could do this, that I could tackle this, that they gave me examples of other people that had been in you know, similar situations that had had good outcomes. I didn't know that they, those people didn't have spinal cord injuries like I did, but I wasn't looking for the differences. And you know, I just knew that they had crushed vertebrae and they were in a really tough time for a period of time and they got better. So those people that came in and gave me belief were really important. And then just the instance of kindness and the most powerful one of those is definitely a nurse that, Nurse Nicole from day eight when I was, or day nine when I was, had the PA spinal unit come around and see me. And at that point in time, I didn't believe that I was going to go to the PA spinal unit. I'd been told that my spinal cord injury was severe, but maybe not quite severe enough that I'd be into the full spinal unit. And then they came and assessed me and said, you're going to the spinal unit. And I was devastated because it wasn't the expectation that I had from that discussion. And I know it seems... Maybe it seems really silly because I didn't have that expectation of that's how the discussion would go. That's what I heard. And I was completely flattened by it. And the nurse that just came in just to do her routine work in my room and saw that I was clearly impacted um, at that moment and just her ability to sit with me and console and reset my perspectives and just be kind. So that's my absolute favorite story of the journey. But there's so many amazing, powerful kindness stories, belief stories, helping me deal with despair stories, intervening like Lucy did when I was wallowing and feeling sorry for myself. so many great examples.
0: Yeah. I'm sure you've met people along the journey with spinal cord injuries. Is there anyone in particular that's as someone that's got that genuine empathy, I don't know if that's the correct term, but as someone that's gone on a similar journey.
1: Well, I've been lucky enough to see Dinesh Palapenas speak up here and meet him a couple of times. I can't believe how he's not exhausted the whole time, given what he's trying to do. I mean, I feel exhausted trying to do what I'm doing. And so I guess people like that and in rehab, because I was a bit of a unique beast in the seven weeks in hospital being mainly amongst the diabetes patients and those that lost limbs not so many spinal cord people around me there but certainly in other rehab after that like a poor lady that had a spinal cord stroke and I could just see the effort she was constantly putting in and that helped me sustain my effort when it was starting to wane just by seeing other people around and the way they're tackling things so I guess you've got people out in the community now setting great example of what you can achieve and I just want to pause there for a second everyone has that what they can achieve set your own objectives just because someone else is doing that you don't need to do that but work out you can see that people can achieve things so then you set your own expectations of what might I be able to achieve to so see people around you striving for their own expectations their own goals yeah that's a fantastic thing it's actually a real privilege it's I wish none of us were in that position where we've got to do it but to see someone else's sustained efforts and to be able to celebrate their outcomes that's actually a pretty beautiful bond that you forge with that person for life. It's a privilege of a very unlucky situation.
0: My last question is, where do you think we're at at the moment in the disability space? Like we've made so much progress in the last few years, I know know from my end, but where do you think we're at at the moment and where do you think we're headed collectively? Just earlier
1: today, I just saw, you know, on LinkedIn a a post by Ventia and they've got the work they're doing internally to champion disabled people within their workforce. And I see that and I think it's great, but I'm still not convinced it's really embedded and embraced overall. I'm not talking about that particular company, but how do we get more of genuinely hiring people for their strengths and then letting them use those strengths so that we're really being a more diverse workforce? And I think that's probably what I hope the most in disability space going forward is we've got better at raising employment statistics. It's still a massive gap to what it could be but also within that, how do we really help people work to their strengths and employ them for their strengths and therefore they should be able to perform to all sorts of levels. And I know we do see pockets of that, but how do we see more of that?
0: Perfect, I had a great time. It's oh, absolutely honour to be on, I
1: really appreciate it.
0: No, no, thanks mate, it was great. You've been listening to Extraordinary, a podcast where we have an honest chat and a good laugh about what it's like to live with a disability. This podcast is brought to you by Independence Australia. Independence Australia is a social enterprise providing choices and services to people living with a disability. To find out more about what we do, visit independenceaustralia.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Waylink Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Extraordinary, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Oliver Hunter and we'll be back next episode with another Extraordinary Conversation.